transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. Our beloved desert in our long, hot summer of calamity. The world wants us dead. It has been fairly obvious for 20 plus years now, but the world has been compelled to take direct action. For so long here in America, we have been spared. For so long here in the American Southwest, we have been spared. Yes, the wildfires were bad for a couple of weeks per year in your particular part of the West, but then they were just something on the TV news at night during wildfire season. The heat waves were getting worse, but at least we could escape to the mountains for cooler weather or escape to an air-conditioned movie theater on Labor Day. have not paid much attention to the news lately, but just a cursory glance now and then shows crowds of terrified Bakersfield suburbanites standing in the reservoir water as walls of flame surround them, waiting for the National Guard to rescue them by helicopter. A dozen or so right to the hospital, some burn nearly to a crisp. Stay-at-home summer fun, people dying in their apartments during the monster heat waves and constant power outages. And now with doors and windows tightly closed against the incredibly dangerous wildfire smoke in all of our cities. Oh, and we're real low on water, too, across the southwest. We've got some more mitigating and lawyering to do as states and counties and water districts, but we all know the truth, and we all know it's coming soon. What will be the first city that puts people in jail for filling up their swimming pool? My guess is whatever city it will be, it will happen long before the golf course owners get so much as a fix-it ticket. The pandemic is killing us off. Especially in America. Because we don't have a reason to be alive. We just exist. 
consumers. Our elders, our grandparents, what do we do with them when they've lived a long life? Well, unless they're multimillionaires and can afford to stay in their nice home with a full-time nurse, we ship them to assisted living facilities. For-profit companies that warehouse the elderly until they expire. Because the family has collapsed. The boomers encouraged it. They had as little interest in grandchildren, your children, as they had in sharing a family home with you when they were old. So unless they're one percenters, there's no choice. When they can't get around on their own anymore, we put them in the facility after we sell their house and pay off their boat. And then what's left goes to Dismal Mesa Assisted Living Facility, a division of Rite Aid Health Industries Group. We just exist. Waiting to be told what to do, what to buy, who to vote for, where to evacuate to, when to turn on the Zoom meeting. Kids included now, children included. It was a beautiful idea that women finally would have the ability to choose when they would spend nine months carrying a baby and another two decades caring for it. But our system threw in something extra. You can't afford to have a baby even when you want to. The comfortable class can still do it. They can still burn up a whole mountain forest, what's left of it anyway, by lighting it aflame with a gender reveal explosive. But the rest of us, enjoy your couple of weeks off for parental leave if you're lucky enough to be one of the lucky ducks who has a full-time job in this country where the rosiest unemployment numbers hover around 10% for a year straight. You know a funny thing about the Great Depression is that the first year it had 10% unemployment numbers. It wasn't until year three when 25% of Americans had lost their work. Children sit at home looking at a laptop computer for six hours a day if they've got a laptop. You know what they do for PE, physical education, as they say, on the Zoom meetings? Where I live, the local high school PE teacher puts up diagrams of exercises. After an hour of sitting in a chair looking at diagrams of exercises, the children are quizzed on the names of the exercises. Among the trees, it's just about like a shadow. It just shows a shadow. Thing. 
What is your name? Oh, and you also saw the, this yes, we were all creature? Yes. What did you think it was? Um, I don't know, really. I, I'm Daniel Mandy, and, and I saw this this silver thing in, in amongst this clump of, of trees with this one thing sitting on, on the side and another thing sort of like running up and down the, the top. I saw something silver on the ground amongst the trees and a person in black. And that's all I saw. You saw a person alongside the silver thing? Yes. Something scared you, is that right? What, what scared you? The boys. What noise? The noise that we heard in the air. You heard a noise in the yeah. air? What was it like? Like a roar or a buzz or a hum or what kind of a noise? It was like someone was playing a flute. It was scary myself. It was scary because you saw something yourself? Yes. Mm -hmm. I saw little objects hovering. It was quite big actually. And then there was little ones all around it. We saw something silver and then we quickly ran to the log to the logs and we saw a silver silver thing and we saw a man standing next to it. What was it what did it feel like when he was looking at you? I felt scared. It it felt scary? What was scary about it? Well I felt scared because I've never seen such a person like that before. Did you see the eyes? What did they look like? They were on things like that. Where was the pointy part? Was the pointy part in here or was the pointy part up, up there? Up there. And what was the feeling when you looked at the eyes? Um, it was scary. Did you look at him? Yes. Did he look at you? Yes, and he gave me the creeps and I told him. He gave you the creeps. Actually, in your drawing, you showed him standing up, didn't you? Yes, I had to draw him standing up because I couldn't draw him sitting. What I thought was maybe the world's going to end. Maybe they're telling us the world's going to end. Um, well, why do you think they might want us to be scared? <clears throat> Because um, you maybe because we never we don't look after the planet um, the area properly. Mm -hmm. And Nelly, uh, this is is this an idea that uh, you have had before that we don't look after the planet properly in the air, or did this idea come to you when you had this experience? When I had this experience, my heart kind of went faster and then slower and then faster and then slower, mm -hmm. all at the same time. What, what time of day did this uh, event occur? At break time. Break time in the morning or lunch break? Morning. Morning break. And what were you doing at the time? Well, we were, I was playing at, in the playground and then we just, we saw something silver and then we quickly ran to the, log, to the logs and we saw a silver, silver thing and we saw a man standing next to it. They were just like looking at all of us. They didn't, they seemed to have stiff necks, they didn't seem to move their necks like we can.
they weren't frightened of us. They actually came near. Mm-hmm. And they didn't try to attack. They acted, they didn't act in an unfriendly way, you mean? No. Then he was looking at me back. How could he just keep on looking at him so I had to stop and I look sideways so he keep on making me feel faint. I think they want um, people to know that we're actually making harm on this world. are from the last decade of the past century, the recent past, the year 1994. A half dozen years after the international organizations on this planet, the United Nations among them, back when such organizations still had some clout, when the old order was still hanging on, These organizations came together to announce that catastrophic climate change would shortly follow unless we very quickly got a handle on carbon emissions into our atmosphere. The fossil fuel companies, Exxon and Mobil and their protection rackets at the White House and in Congress, Saudi Arabia, the Soviet Union, etc., Well, they took the news badly. I mean, they actually took the news and threw it away. They hid it as best they could. There were some incremental fixes here and there, like scrubbers on industrial smokestacks, slightly better gasoline efficiency in newer cars. But for the most part, the oil economy, the global oil economy that has controlled most of what has happened on Earth over the past hundred years or so, well, it just kept on trucking. And flying and shipping and otherwise burning fossil fuels for anything that needed heat or energy. And to make sure they did not lose any sliver of profits from increased fuel efficiency, They summoned a legion of demons from hell and put them in the bodies of willing frat boys and other douchebags in navy blue business suits. And they sent them out to push plastic everything on everybody. Glass bottles and jars had worked out pretty well, but every corporation selling consumer garbage quickly switched to plastics. Plastic bottles, plastic packaging, plastic cars, fake plastic trees. They turned a weekend party at the neighborhood pub into a week-long hen party or stag party in the newly opened tourist destinations of Prague and Budapest. All courtesy of cheap airfares from literally fly-by-night cheap airlines, 
propped up by oil money investments, hedge funds, vulture capitalists. They'd already bribed every American city into ripping up most of its public transit infrastructure. They'd kneecapped passenger train service. You know, they'd even organized some groups of thugs to fight carpool parking lots in the suburbs. In recent years, they've thrown hundreds of millions of evil money at every attempt to get rid of plastic grocery bags, plastic crap that litters our oceans and landfills and open spaces. 30 years ago, when there was half as much human-caused carbon dioxide in Earth's atmosphere, when we had three times the wildlife, three times the forest cover, three times the glaciers, we had a chance at a new world. An easy transition. A lot less people. Billions less people at the time. A lot less disruption, as they used to call it in Silicon Valley, before even the dummies figured out Silicon Valley is just the devil by another name. The devil you let inside your home. Back when most of us at least had a roof over our heads. The children at the aerial school, names are always important, remember this, and life is less of a baffling mystery and more of an interesting puzzle. The children at the aerial school, while they were chosen, of mixed race, different cultures, pure of mind and heart and spirit, between the ages of 6 and 12, living in relatively prosperous Zimbabwe, in a relative lull between imperialism and colonialism and its natural revenge. The children were at morning recess outside in the fresh air, the forest coming right up to the school grounds. Forest that has since been completely cleared, of course. These children, born to native tribes, born to colonizers and immigrants from Europe and Asia, in their neat school uniforms, laughing on the playground, well, they began to notice something happening. Some saw the flash of light, the first sign, the first sign that your reality is shifting. Whether you're an old Welsh farmer or Betty and Barney Hill on a New England back road, or Muhammad meditating in the hills outside Mecca, or Joseph Smith in the sacred grove of western New York State. A few of the children witnessed disc-shaped objects low in the sky headed for the school, traveling down the power lines like maglev trains. Electricity. Some heard the music first, the haunting music. Like someone was playing a flute. Pan on his pipes and suddenly just above a low bunch of bushes and young trees at the playground's edge, many of the children saw a wonder, a miracle. Hovering there was a vessel of some kind, a craft. Each child described it and later drew it in chalk and crayon, each a bit differently. 
Some only saw an indistinct silvery shape, others perceived a variety of details from antenna to portholes that appeared in the sides. Flashing lights to racing stripes. But almost all of them, nearly all of the 62 children on that suddenly strange morning of September 16, 1994, saw the entities. No bigger than the oldest school children, variously described as being completely black with long black hair like the local goblins of Zimbabwean folklore, or wearing neat little jumpsuits like the good neighbors of Northern Europe. While the perceptions varied, one attribute remained constant. The haunting, knowing eyes. The eyes that looked into these children's very souls. John Mack, the Pulitzer Prize winning author and Harvard Medical School psychiatrist and professor, traveled to the school in Rua, Zimbabwe to interview the children who had already spoken to several television crews. The incident was widely reported because Zimbabwe saw many strange occurrences on those days and nights 27 years ago this month. Dr. Mack had gone down a strange path. Along with Carl Sagan, he was a leader and activist within the Physicians for Social Responsibility which earned the Nobel Prize for its efforts to reduce and eliminate nuclear weapons. Along with Sagan and 700 other members, John Mack trespassed on the Nevada test site in the summer of 1986. Civil disobedience took all the world's attention to the horrors being committed in humanity's name on the Nevada desert. In the 1990s, the psychiatrist became entranced by the persistent tales of alien abduction that he heard from hundreds of people, mostly women, who had never sought attention for their troubling experiences, and in fact remained anonymous in Max published research. The physical, objective reality of spaceships hovering over suburban homes while troops of little humanoids made repeat visits to these so-called abductees. Well, that was obviously impossible by any metrics we possess. But the experiences were real. Undoubtedly real. Lives were upturned and patterns had emerged. After these experiences, identical in all but the cultural window dressing to the tales of being taken away by the fair folk, the dwarves, the tales that fill our Bibles and our fables, the tales that fill Native American Indian religion and the Hindu religion and every ancient lore on earth, the abductees saw the world in a different light. When Dr. Mack created a multiple-choice test for the people who came to him seeking understanding, one of the top indicators of this experience was a sudden, permanent change in their view of nature, of ecology, of the state of our home, of being a living organism within what James Lovelock, 
and Lynn Margulis called Gaia, the Gaia Hypothesis. The ancient Greeks just said Gaia, the Earth. Lynn Margulis, the pioneering evolutionary biologist, and as it happens, Carl Sagan's spouse and partner in science. Especially in the 1980s and 1990s, the people who had this experience were blasted with a particular piece of information. Unless we rapidly changed our civilization, rapidly moved away from burning fossil fuels hauled up from beneath the earth, well, our world would come to a quick end. And we'd be here to experience it. We did not heed the call. Well, you know the moral of the story, we had better do so now. Not return to 1988 or 1994 when there was half as much carbon put into the atmosphere by humans, but simply to continue the human journey. Well, the planet will still be here. And being adaptable organisms ourselves, some of us will survive. We will burrow underground. The richest will escape to space stations and dreary colonies on Mars and the moon. Some will be sacrificed to seek other planets, hoping their great-great-great-grandchildren will survive to be dropped onto a dead planet somewhere out there in hopes of terraforming the surface over a hundred generations and making some cruel parody of basic life on Earth as it had been for a hundred thousand years before we wrecked it all in less than a century. Whether you're floating dead in a house nobody has gotten around to check in Lake Charles or your charred bones await eventual discovery in the blackened forest of Oregon or Northern California or Angeles National Forest, whether you fled the apocalyptic wildfires in Greece or Bulgaria or Brazil, whether you're down with the coronavirus anywhere on this polluted planet, your lungs already ruined from breathing particulate matter, diesel smoke, Industrial poisons, well, you are the proof. You're the proof of what has happened. And if you're still alive, if you're still able to get around, still willing to give it a shot, well, friends, it's time to shoot. Or get off the pot, as they say. From Amboy to Zizix and across the Great Mojave Wilderness, this has been Desert Oracle Radio. I'm your host, Ken Lane. Music and most of this program from our own Red, Blue, Black, Silver. Friday nights, 10 p.m., KCDZ, 107.7 FM in Joshua Tree, California. Listen to us on Lookout FM in Burbank and Los Angeles, too. We'll see you next week, hopefully. Good night from the Voice of the Desert.